Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to welcome you back to another edition of the Pastor's Office. Can I tell you something? This last week has been historic in the life of the city of Philadelphia. On Tuesday, Philadelphians, you did something that, well, it took you 99 mayors to get to it, but you did something special. On Tuesday, you elected the first female mayor of the city of Philadelphia in the person of Sherelle Parker. Not only the first female mayor, but she's female and she's black. I am so excited about what the future holds for our city. Not because you elected a female mayor, not because she's African-American descent, not, none of that. I just believe she's qualified. I believe she comes from a shared background uh, of a lot of us. Uh, and I believe she speaks to our pain. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very excited about where the city will go. Had a chance to be at her victory celebration on Tuesday. I opened up uh, the celebration with prayer. My choir uh, took the 3,000-plus people in that facility to church uh, during the celebration, and then we all sat back and listened to uh, the mayor-elect lay out her vision uh, for the next four years. So history was made uh, on Tuesday, and I pray uh, that you are excited about what the future holds. But, 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 but do you know that there was other history that went down on Tuesday? Let, let, me, let me help you out. We already know that Philadelphia is 7 to 1 Democrat to Republican. Uh, so it's kind of a given that the Democratic nominee for mayor is going to win the election. It's a given that the Democrats will have the majority uh, in city council. All those things are given. But what has also been a given uh, is that there are council-at-large seats uh, for the minority party, uh, for the Republicans. Uh, so they typically will have uh, council-at-large seats uh, and obviously a couple members of the council that come from districts that lean Republican. For the first time, for the first time in history, the at-large seats have been won by a third party. Two at-large seats were won by a third party, the Working Family Party. And those individuals were Kendra Brooks and Nicholas O'Rourke. They made history, y'all. 
This week was a history week. And it's my privilege, it's my honor, it's my pleasure uh, to welcome into the pastor's office for the very first time uh, council member at large elect from the Working Families Party, Nicholas O'Rourke. Council member at large elect O'Rourke. Now, that's a lot to say. Can I call you Nicholas, please? Absolutely. Please do. All right. All right. First of all, welcome to the pastor's office for the first time. How are you this afternoon? Reverend Mason, I'm, I'm grateful to be on with you here in the pastor's study. You know, that's how we used to call them back in the day. <laughs> and I'm grateful to be here and talking talking with you um, in the in basking in the glow of the light of historic win of the first black woman to lead the city of Philadelphia, incidentally, the 100th mayor. That's right. Uh, grateful to be uh, in proximity to that moment and uh, grateful to be on with you this morning. Well, listen, we're excited to have you here. And let me let me let me say this to you. Um off topic, and then we'll get on topic. Uh, I had the honor of interviewing all of the candidates for mayor uh, before the primary on the Republican and the Democratic side. I'd interviewed all of them except Jeff Brown. He never accepted our invitation. I'll keep saying that on the air just as long as I want to say it. Uh, I go to the other supermarket anyway. But the last candidate that I interviewed was Sherelle Parker. And I'll never forget it. After I took off my headsets, um, and she was sitting right here in studio next to me. Uh, I looked at her. I said, you're, you're the next mayor of Philadelphia. She said, what? I said, you are the next mayor of Philadelphia. Not that I have any great ability to see the future. I just felt like she spoke to the pain of people in the city of Philadelphia, that she shared a common experience with so many people that live in the city of Philadelphia. So before I jump to your historic win, uh, you spoke a little bit about it, but just— Give me a little bit more perspective on the historic nature of her victory uh, and what you feel lies in store with her sitting at the helm in City Hall. Well, I was uh, I had the benefit of of, of chatting a little bit with uh, Madam Mayor elect um, in the past few days. And uh, I shared with her what I what I had been thinking for some time. I was a college student uh in the first Obama run for office, um, 2008. I was in the back gym at Central State University when on the big screen that had been put up for us students who had were watching the results, Wolf Blitzer announced that, that a black man would become the 44th president of these United States of America. And I remember the next morning, uh, and really the rest of the week, because you know election day is on Tuesday, I put on a suit and had my chest out uh, uh, on campus uh, because of how deeply it resonated with me that someone like me, who looked like me, who even fashioned themselves like me, could be everybody's boss. That meant <laughs> something to me in that moment, I recall uh, saying then and since, that I wanted that same feeling both the night that he was elected as well as Inauguration Day when we were in the Fellowship Hall at a United AME Church in Southwest Ohio, uh, and around those elders that were there, that the the pride that they had watching that happen and the the pride that I had knowing who it was that was was being inaugurated, I just wanted that for everybody else. And so to see, you know, again, this is Philadelphia, it is clear upon the primary who would be the next mayor. Nevertheless, uh, it means something to me 
to see the pride in so many of the faces, the Facebook posts, the social media entries, what have you, uh, that many black women are feeling right now across the city. Um, it is not lost on me, and I'm deeply grateful for what uh, Madam Mayor is uh, bringing to many, not just black women, but many young black girls who look up to her and are looking at that moment, you know, the symbolism, how, how apropos, the 100th mayor of the sixth largest city in the United States, the most powerful nation on the planet. Um, that, that's obviously saying something, and I'm grateful um, and honored to, 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 to be able to live to witness it. Listen, man, it's it's exciting. I feel like there is excitement throughout the city, uh, but but I really want to target and focus in on your historic victory. Uh, as I shared early on, third parties traditionally uh, are just overlooked uh, because victory is typically not within reach for many reasons. Uh, name exposure, money, uh, even sometimes extreme policies uh, that uh, some of the candidates hold. It's funny, uh, my son and I, we talk politics all the time, uh, and uh, he's actually getting ready to go to college to be a political science major. And he says to me, he says, Dad, the next president of the United States is going to be uh, a Kennedy. And I said, I'm like, Boy, he's third party. He's like, Dad, don't discount the third party. Uh, so, so I'm sure many have discounted third parties. You are a member of the Working Families Party. You won the election. Let's start here. Why did you choose the route of the Working Families Party? Well, you know, certainly there are easier routes to run for office. Um, I think I think it, you have to come back a few steps for for my decision to make a little sense. I didn't enter into uh, politics for the sake of politics and for the sake of acquiring a seat and, and just kind of being a part of of the system, as it were. While I do appreciate what a republic is in the history of what you know societies create, what systems they create to govern themselves, um, my entry into the, the people's business is through ministry, through organizing. Um, my mentor uh, would call it sacred activism. Um, you know, working with a group like Power, Philadelphians, people, really Pennsylvanians at this point, organized to witness empower and, and, and rebuild, um, has been essential in my understanding of how uh, not just to speak truth to power, but to organize power, to know what power is, to have an analysis of it, and to upon building it, acquiring it, locating it, wielding it, yielding it in such a way that it helps to materially improve the lives of the people that, you know, are wielding it or, you know, helps to bring about a different world, a different reality. Uh, and so through that organizing work, um, you obviously, you, you, you become a student of those who have been successful in being able to win on various issues like, you know, a living, like a, like a, like a higher wage or uh, folks who have been able to secure uh, various fundings like, you know, or, or what have you. Um, you know, and so you, you learn about folks before you, you know, who have both been connected to ministry work, uh, who have learned to organize within their communities and whatever communities they might be in. And you hear folks, you know, well before a Barack Obama, there was a Reverend Jesse Jackson, you know, um, uh, who uh, ran uh, for president both in 84 and 88, 
many folks who are listening may remember those those uh, uh, sometimes forgotten but yet historic uh, runs for office, and also what he galvanized um, the sort of movement uh, of people that were interested in that work. And you know, long story short, many of those who are essential to you know a candidacy and the organizing work of, of a Jackson campaign in both '84 and '88. Uh, continue to do that work in electoral politics. Um, and that movement energy, that values-based politics, uh, actually evolved into what became the new party, uh, which was the preliminary to what is now known as the Working Families Party. They, Dan Cantor, the previous national director for the WFP prior to the current one, uh, Maurice Mitchell, uh, was a staffer on the Jesse Jackson campaign. Uh, many of uh, many folks that w- that were part of Rainbow Coalition uh, and those who uh, have spoke uh, spoken to various issues within the Black community and you know the country writ large uh, have been a part of that and have kind of been in that apparatus. So I'm saying all this to say uh, that the Working Families Party uh, I was able to to make contact with and and, and meet uh, through the various labor unions, which we know are essential to the sort of organizing work that we have done that I, I met through my work with power, uh, organizing with people of, of, of faith, people of color uh, throughout the city, uh, as well as uh, connecting with the labor movement. I was introduced to this, this particular party and the opportunity, you know, when the time came uh, to entertain perhaps clinching one of these two seats, you know, obviously doing what you have already named or, or addressing what you've already named, the reality of there being two seats set aside, not for Republicans, but for a minority party that happened to be going to Republicans, not because they had the best ideas, but because there was literally no other party organized well enough to be able to compete in a meaningful way in for those seats, you know that that's meaningful to me. When I think I think about folks like uh, Fannie Lou Hamer in the in the in the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, uh, and that being a third party or or has as some may have called it a splinter group. You know, however you want to frame it. These were folks who had a value, had a values-driven politics that or, that forced them to go organize and to maybe you know do things a bit differently. And so, you know, as as much as it's a challenge to run third party uh, in a city this size, you know, in a city this essential to the to the union, in a way, and this might be a bit odd, in a way, I almost see it as a privilege to be able to do so because I do not have to go in the normal two-party system. I think folks listening now, and maybe even you would agree, maybe not. <laughs> I grew up in a world where my elders, you know, said to me, you know, the two-party system didn't really work for them. You know, most of the time you're more you're more or less folding your values into one party or another as opposed to really getting a sense of voting for the kind of person that really does express your your, your values in totality. I'm not suggesting that we're perfect, no by no means, but to be able to run third party and not within the binary at a time when folks are particularly more interested in, you know, other ways of expressing their their values and their politics, you know, I, I, I take I don't take that for granted. I'm grateful to be able to do it, and and I'm grateful to be, to be able to do it with with a group uh, that has gotten started and has tried to be of some good use in American politics as the WFP. Now, now talk to me about the struggles of fundraising uh, and galvanizing support as a third party candidate, because I know that has been a constant. Uh, refrain with other third-party candidates that I've talked to on the show. Uh, but some way, somehow, you were able to pull that together. How'd you do that? Well, you know, this is my second time running, and you're right. Both first as well as second times, fundraising is a doozy. Um, if there was anything uh, on this process, in this process, rather, that I could, li- I could, I could do without, 
for the rest of my days. It would be trying to ask folk for money. <laughs> you know, even as a minister, I don't I don't know about you, but I, I'm always, you know, except for the fact that I know that what what we sow in our ministry work goes to to do the work that God has charged us as a ministry to to complete or to go forth and do. You know, I I I do not like you know having to ask folk for money. Um, but you know. That having been said, we know if we're wanting to be able to be effective within this current American political system, to be able to, 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 to penetrate in such a way where you are regarded as a serious contender, you must be able to raise that dollar. And so we did it the old-fashioned way, got on phones, uh, set aside time to, to really reach out to a number of folks you know, that I personally knew, uh, as well as those relationships that I've built over the years, uh, and ask them to believe and invest in this particular cause, this effort. Um, and, and we were grateful to be able to see a number of, 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 of small dollar donors that really powered this campaign, you know, both across the country, folks that I've had the privilege of, of, of knowing and meeting who have believed in me for some time, as well as many here in the city who understood and caught the vision and resonated with what I believe what we, what we tried to communicate. And so, uh, we were able to, to, to reach a historic number, both in the 2019 campaign, as well as, as doubling at this time. So now you are council member at large elect, uh, Nicholas O'Rourke. Um, I know I yesterday I had the opportunity to uh, witness the transition uh, press conference for Mayor Parker and uh, Mayor elect Parker. And one of the things she said is that we got to do all of this transition in eight weeks. Well, my friend, you're going to be in office in about eight weeks. Uh, I'm sure your team is ready to hit the ground running, but talk to us about what your priorities are going to be. Well, you know, uh, that is, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to hear the press conference yesterday, but uh, I also have a similar sentiment, a realization after the past couple of days of just trying to respond to every text message that I got from election night uh, since, uh, let alone return phone calls that, um, you know, we got to, you know, the better part of a month and a half, to, to get a good transition going and, and to be able to hit the ground rolling. Um, you know, and while the logistics of staffing up and things like that, uh, you know, are a bit of a challenge, you know, and we'll, we'll get that. One of the benefits I have is having thought, you know, in campaign recently uh, on these, these particular values and interests that we have. And certainly what we've talked about throughout the course of the campaign is making sure that we're approaching governance with a sense of care and common sense. I want to begin there by, you know, just stating I'm, these were the themes of the campaign, care, and common sense in a time when politics has been flattened to, you know, what is expedient uh, and what you may, what may be monetarily gained at some point, our politics must be anchored in a sense of care for the other um, care for our community care for those who are most impacted in society. And so, you know, when I think about what that actually looks like in a city like Philadelphia with the demographic that we have, with the issues uh, as well as the opportunities that we are faced with. Um, one of the things that, that CARE looks like to me is making sure that we are uh, getting more dollars into black hands, into black families. How can we remove obstacles to capital uh, for black business owners as well as uh, for black families? We are just now in the last year and a half or some change coming out of a raging pandemic that has that shook the world to the core in which we hadn't seen the likes of in, you know, in a century. And one of the things that we realized was absolutely essential if we were going to continue to keep people afloat and allow folks to be able to continue to press through such trying times was to cut the hurdles out of getting folks money. In fact, 
we went as far as putting checks. I think the number originally was 2000 I think what folks got in the mailbox uh, or in their accounts was $1,200 uh, to just give it to them. It was such a great idea coming out of Senator Sanders that the, that the, that the former president sent everybody a letter with his big black Sharpie marker on the bottom of it to remind you that he did it uh, or that it was under his term. You know, what would it look like for us as a city to try to find a way to get dollars to the, the, the lowest earners in our city? Truly, not and not to see that as a radical idea, but to recognize that every election cycle, and I said it this cycle as well, we were we're reminded by every candidate that we are in the poorest big city in the country. Twenty four point five percent of our population lives in poverty, 12 percent abject. And if we are serious about addressing poverty, dare I be as radical enough to say uh, eliminating it. Well, that means we have to get money in, in, in folks' pockets. And I say black folks because this is a chocolate city. Uh, the majority of the people that in this city are people of color. And so and I also recognize that they are the ones uh, that are uh, uh, that are at the bottom of the social and, and, and economic uh, 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 system. Uh, and so we I, what would it look like if, if like other cities like Denver has and others as well, if we looked at the lowest pers- uh, the lowest earners in the city and found a way to just give them a universal basic income as radical as that may sound. Dr. King talked about it in 1967. And I think that we're well beyond time uh, for that to, to for that to happen. So that's something I'm excited about exploring and looking. I know that there's some sort of pilot out right now with that, but I want to see how we might be able to bring that to scale. Not only that. I would say that um, the number one issue that I that I came across uh, on the campaign trail, as much as there were other things that I named, uh, is something that you probably would agree with: crime, you know, safety, security, gun violence, something in that proximity. What I do know, and what I tried to communicate during the during the campaign cycle, is that beyond just responding to crime after it's happened, reacting to it uh, after it has already been completed, uh, there must be a concern for preventing it in the first place. And what we know, uh, oftentimes the conversation has been a lot of lamenting of the issues in the city, but what we've learned and what we know over time uh, is that where we have seen gun violence reduced in cities like Philadelphia, it came with resources. The safest communities are the most resourced communities. How are we going to bring about safety in the city of Philadelphia, security in the sense of Philadelphia? Every single one of us deserve it. Uh, a number, our, our seniors are, are horrified at walking down the street at night. Young folk are, you know, wear masks because they're they're afraid of being found by some folk. You know, this is something that we have to we have to address. Uh, and I believe that it, it's going to begin with making sure that we are putting deep investments across the board in city services as well as prevention groups with proven abilities. I'm, I'm grateful to see the funding that went forward last um, uh, year, I believe, uh, to begin to invest in various groups that do have plans for, for towards prevention. But I also know uh, that uh, that bringing about that safety looks like making sure that there's lights in every single street lamp across the city. I think there was a mayoral candidate that lifted this point in the primary, which I think was appropriate, uh, that, the, that the illegal dumping that happens in our city is cleaned up, that there is regular trash pickup, trash pickup on every single corridor, on every single street in the city. We know where there are. In fact, the 57 blocks, uh, as, as District Attorney Krasner has lifted up, uh, where you have the most uh, crime in the city are often the most poorly kept. 
uh, and to my running mate's point, uh, Councilmember Brooks, you may find that many of the schools that were shut down in the 2012 mass shutdowns are, off, uh, are, are in those areas where that gun violence is. So we got to invest in our school system. We have to invest in our city services, the environs within which we lived, and we got to make sure that we're getting we're getting money in the people's pockets. And I believe that those things are 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 are, are not just essential to me, but they're top priority for others on council as well as the mayor. So I look forward to finding out how our office can can dovetail and help to buttress that effort uh, going in uh, beginning January 2. Well, listen, you've got a great group of team members because, let's face it, council is going to have to be one team in order to move Philadelphia forward. Uh, but you've got my great friend Catherine Gilmore Richardson, Kenyatta Johnson. You've got Ketsy Lozada, our representative here in the Frankfurt, Kensington area, Jim Harrity. I mean, the list goes on and on. I really feel like you've got an all-star team. How excited are you to get in there, roll up your sleeves, and start working with these great uh, these great servants? Well, I look forward to it. It's an honor. I'm, first of all, humbled by the sheer number of people in the city of Philadelphia that thought I was worth voting for. Um, and I don't take that lightly. Um, it is, it is, it is, I understand ministry, and I, I know you understand it the same way, as service. And so uh, to be called to serve you know, by God is one thing, by the people is his own thing as well. And so um, I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm honored at the opportunity to do it and to be able to come alongside these these folk. I've had the, the privilege of seeing some of them in action already, uh, even uh, being a part of some of the efforts that have, that have come to fore, supported many of the things. I'm thinking about some of the great work that Councilman Thomas uh, has done with his, with his driver's equality bill and, and things of that nature that has uh, uh, been a template for bringing about uh, better relations between police and community across the country. Um, you know, these sorts of ideas coming out of a council like this, obviously with such great uh, and new talent. Um, thinking about uh, uh, coming uh, councilwoman uh, Rue Landau, um, the first queer woman, uh, open, openly queer, a council person coming on board. I'm excited for the, the history that she's making and, and what she's bringing to, 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 the, to the effort. Another term for Councilmember Brooks uh, as well. To your point, Kathy Gilmore Richardson, my wife, uh, is her uh, organizational sister with the National Coalition of 100 Black Women and have been great and have only heard wonderful things uh, during committee meetings uh, from my wife about how uh, Councilwoman Gilmore Richardson works and, and the leadership that she provides. You know, it, it is an exciting time um, uh, to be able to come uh, to join the Philadelphia City Council with obviously with the leadership of, of Mayor, Madam Mayor Parker. Uh, I believe the best is yet to come for the city of Philadelphia and for these great leaders. So before we leave, and, and I really have enjoyed getting to know you, uh, allow our, our Philly's favorite listeners to just get to know a little bit more about you. Now, one thing we say in preaching, uh, when the preacher gets to the crescendo of his message and starts to change tone, we say, I hear your voice, preacher. I hear your voice. So, yes. so during this interview, I've heard your voice, and I see churches all up in you. Just give us a little background. You mentioned a mentor. Let's give them a shout-out uh, because we know we stand on the shoulders of great people to get us where we are uh, that have been bridges to our success. So just give a brief little background on, on, on Nicholas O'Rourke. Uh, speak to your mentors. Just give some thanks real quick. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. I am who I am because of who has poured into me. Um, I am Regina McCain's son, Ernest O'Rourke's son, um, of of the of the McCain's of of of, of Tioc, Mississippi, uh, as well as the O'Rourke's of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. 
I, I, I am a product of both Low Country Baptist churches and Silk Stocking Baptist churches, as well as uh, uh, of, of the holiness tradition. Uh, my mother's father's side of the family, our Church of God in Christ, uh, through and through. Uh, and so I have been uh, molded and shaped by these institutions, as well as some of the mainline black uh, uh, denominations as well, uh, likened unto the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. I'm thinking about uh, one uh, major influence on my life, Bishop T. Garrett Benjamin, Jr., Reverend Dr. T. Garrett Benjamin, Jr., uh, who is the uh, pastor bishop emeritus of the Light of the World Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, um, a major, major voice and influence on my life. Not only him, I'm thinking of uh, my dear mentor, who right now uh, is is looking at a at, at a at a veil getting thinner and thinner, um, looking at making his transition. Uh, my dear friend and brother and mentor, uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson. Um, who has a major influence on my life. In fact, that term sacred activism comes directly from him. Uh, and I speak his name in this moment as he is as he is preparing for transition, and many are praying for him and uh, how much of an influence he has been on the world and impact that he has been on me as well. I'm thinking of of Bishop Dwayne David Royster, who was the first pastor of the church that I now pastor at Living Water Church in the UCC tradition, himself coming out of a Mennonite tradition, something much farther from me, uh, but I've been greatly influenced by as well, and how he uh, has shown uh, and really kind of been a pioneer in what this this intersection of faith and justice work can really look like uh, in the modern era. Um, I, I'm just grateful for them. Um, also, the many pastors, uh, uh, imams, rabbis across the city of Philadelphia. Uh, I'm thinking about Rabbi Sean Zevit at Mishkan Shalom, Rabbi Ari Lefranari at Pulsetic, and uh, Imam Kenneth Nuruddin Muhammad at, uh, at the West Philadelphia uh, Masjid, and as well as Imam Abdul Halim Hassan of Masjid Allah. Thinking about Reverend Dr. Mark Kelly Tyler at Mother Bethel and Dr. Leslie Callahan at St. Paul's Baptist Church. So many, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving out so many names, but these folk have been absolutely essential in my formation. And I'm grateful for, for, for who they have helped and shaped me to be. And I hope to continue to, to make them proud and to continue to do good work uh, that will benefit every person across the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. Pastor, preacher, Council member at large, elect Nicholas O'Rourke. Congratulations on your victory. Uh, I'm so, so excited to see a brother on council that, and as I say, I said this when I introduced Sherelle several times and and a few of the other members of uh, our city government. I like I like folks that work in city government that know how to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, yes, and so we are excited to have you in place. And as you continue your journey uh, to work for the people of Philadelphia, if we can be of service to you here at Philly's Favor, 100.7 FM and 100.3 WRNB HD3, we are here to support you, sir. Let's do it for Philly, all right? Reverend, I appreciate your kindness and your hospitality this 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 afternoon, this day, and uh, I look forward to working alongside you and along with you as we uh, do better for the city of Philadelphia, for sure. Thank God you, God bless you, my friend. And we'll be right bless. back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, Pastor Jonathan Mason back with you in the pastor's office, and it's that time of year. It's that time of year. I know many of you, when I say it's that time of the year, you're thinking I'm talking about Thanksgiving. Uh, You've got visions of turkey and stuffing and the apple pies and family gathered round. But I, I need you to understand that is not the time of year I'm speaking about. 
The time of year that I'm speaking about uh, for this particular segment that we're going to have is it's open enrollment time for insurance, for health insurance. I will share this with you. You don't know how important health insurance is until you get sick. And then you realize how important it is to have a policy, and not just a policy, but a good policy that will be able to cover you uh, and limit the amount of financial exposure uh, to yourself and to your family. So to that end, uh, I wanted to talk about the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace. Do you know what that is? All right. If you don't know, that's okay, because we've got the executive director uh, of the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace. Uh, Her name is Devin Trolley, and we want to welcome her into the pastor's office this afternoon. Devin Trolley, welcome to the pastor's office. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me on today. It is our pleasure. May I call you Devin? Absolutely. All right. So, Devin, here's the first thing that our listeners want to understand. What is the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace? Sure. Yeah. So, um, Penny is Pennsylvania's own health insurance marketplace, and it's where anyone who doesn't have coverage can get the lowest cost on high-quality health plans. And I can talk a little bit more about the types of health plans we have and the, the lower costs that we are able to provide. So when did the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace come about? Was that a part of the Obamacare initiative? Yes, yeah, so it was actually a little bit after. So it is part of Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Pennsylvania, though, for several years used healthcare.gov, which is run by the federal government. And I actually used to work there before uh, coming to Penny. Uh, Penny launched its own health insurance marketplace under state law. And the first year that there was coverage available through Penny was 2021. So since then, we've been able to offer lower cost, more plan choices, and better coordination with Medicaid. So help our listeners understand the difference between going to, let's say, Oxford's website uh, or, or going to the Cigna website looking for insurance as opposed to coming into the marketplace. Sure. There are really two main differences. One is that all the health plans offered through Penny, and Penny is not an insurance company. We get that question sometimes. Um, All of the health plans we have are from the companies you mentioned, well-known insurance companies throughout Pennsylvania. But one one of the two things that's really different about Penny is that we make sure all of the health plans available meet important consumer protections. So that means they cover a comprehensive set of medical care. So that includes If you have to go to the hospital, prescription drugs, doctor's visits, maternity care, mental health services, and much more. So we make sure that all of those important benefits are covered. Plans that are offered through Penny cannot deny care for pre-existing conditions, and they have to have important financial protections in. So an example is that if you have a really expensive medical condition that costs a lot in a year, what happens is that at some point you're done paying, and the health insurance company has to cover the rest. Uh, if you go outside or if you look for a health plan uh, through another another website not, that's not Penny, you don't necessarily have the guarantees that the coverage is high quality. Sometimes health plans say they offer a lot and say they have a lot of benefits, but when you get sick and sick or injured, you realize that there was fine print 
or they try to push more costs to you. So that's one guarantee. And one thing that's really different about Penny is that we make sure the plans are high quality and there for you when you need it. The other really important part about Penny is that it's the only place to get those plans, those high quality plans at a much lower cost. Through Penny, what you pay for a plan is based on your income. So if you have a lower income, uh, we pick up right where Medicaid leaves off. So say you make a little too much money for Medicaid, uh, you could pay almost nothing or very little per month for that health plan. Um, and as you know, the amount that someone makes increases, they would pay a little bit more for that health plan. Uh, if you buy a really comprehensive health plan and try to buy that on your own, that could be five or $600 a month. Uh, what we see for, pe- for a lot of people coming through Penny is that they're paying $10, $20, $30 a month for that same comprehensive coverage. And what are the qualifications for one to actually be able to secure a health plan through the marketplace, through the Penny Health Marketplace? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, one is that you have to live in Pennsylvania, uh, and then you have to have uh, either be a citizen or have a, a category of, of immigration status that, that qualifies for Penny. So that's part of the application process. And then you're also not, if you have other coverage, you may not qualify for those savings through Penny. So if you get coverage through, for example, Medicaid or Medicare, you wouldn't qualify for the financial help through Penny. Also, if you have affordable coverage through your job, you also may not qualify uh, for the lower cost through Penny. Now, if your job, if you have health coverage through your job that's very expensive, there are times where if it's so expensive that you actually can get plans through Penny with financial help. So it is income-based based on whether you have, the amount that you pay is based on your income, and then whether you can enroll is really based on whether you have other coverage and if you live in Pennsylvania. So the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace, um, it, and, and I know you said you had worked with uh, healthcare.gov prior to, and I know that they did a lot of marketing to make sure that all Americans knew about healthcare.gov. Are you finding in Pennsylvania uh, that Pennsylvanians are familiar with their very own marketplace? So we're actually finding that there is a lot more to be done in that area. And that is why we're I'm so happy to be with you today. Um, we do find that a lot of people are not aware that Penny is here and Penny is for Pennsylvanians. Um, if people do go to healthcare.gov, they do get redirected right back to um, Penny, which is P-E-N-N-I-E.com, um, since we are the marketplace for Pennsylvania. Um, but we do you know, really try to work with and, and um, encourage anyone to ask if they have family or friends or neighbors who they know might not have coverage or might be looking for coverage to really help spread the word about Penny to make sure that anyone who is looking for that coverage and doesn't know where to go or doesn't know where to start is aware of all that Penny has to offer. You're in the pastor's office uh, with Pastor Jonathan Mason. We're talking with the executive director of the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace, Devin Trolley. Devin, it sounds like, uh, and and I got to say this as a small business owner, it sounds like there needs to be an advertising campaign for the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace. <laughs> we'll be calling you after this interview to figure out how we can work together. But my, but but I do want to share. I want you to share some good news. Can you share with our audience? You know how many Pennsylvanians are actually covered? How many people? are coming from no insurance to insurance by using the marketplace? 
Sure. So we have over 360,000 and counting Pennsylvanians who are covered through Penny. And we see a lot of people who are uninsured come to enroll. And this year, especially, we're seeing a lot of people who no longer qualify for Medicaid who are coming over to Penny to enroll um, through a health plan. So we've had 30,000 people this year alone enroll after not being eligible for Medicaid anymore. And, and I hope that you do see more advertisements from Penny since it is open enrollment. You know, we are really starting to ramp that up. Um, so I, you'll have to let me know if you if you see it or if you don't see it. But we are trying to get the word out about open enrollment and how it's really important to enroll now versus waiting. 100%. 100%. Well, listen, before we let you go, uh, why don't you go ahead and just tell our listeners one more time how they can get to Penny. Give them the contact information, the ways that they can get in touch. Sure, yes. Um, so the website is penny.com. That's P-E-N-N-I-E dot com. There's also a phone number, which is 844-844-8040. And we have a lot of local help available as well. So if you go on the website, maybe you don't want to you know, call a call center or you just want to talk to someone in person, we do have people throughout the Philadelphia area and throughout Pennsylvania that has uh, expertise in Penny Health coverage and know a lot about Medicaid too, that can help. And I think the one other point to mention is that there are deadlines for open enrollment. So if you're looking for that health coverage, be sure to check out the website or call the call center as soon as you can. The important deadline to remember is December 15th. That's the time where you need to enroll in order to have coverage that starts January 1st. So, you know, go into the new year, go into the holiday season, sort of knowing you have that financial protection from health insurance and just kind of take care of that before uh, going and, and enjoying the holidays with family. Philly's favorite listeners, there is no excuse for you not to have insurance for yourself or for your family. Please go to the Penny Health Insurance Marketplace. You've heard it directly from their executive director, Devin Trolley, that there are great programs there, great policies there, quality policy. So let's get insured because you don't understand the importance of health insurance until you get sick. Devin Trolley, thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this afternoon. We really appreciate what you're doing for all Pennsylvanians. Listen, thank you so much for having me on today. The state that we are living in mm, Political spiritual maybe some life While you are listening to Phyllis Faber yeah. 